Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. When I was about eight years old, I was at my grandma's house playing with a bunch of other kids, and we were free to roam as we pleased. She had a really huge yard with lots of very uh, interesting yard art, and all of her plants and gardens were perfectly manicured. She spent countless hours out there making it just this wonderland. And we could go just about anywhere we wanted. There was just one place where I had been warned not to go. There were too many branches behind this azalea bush, and there were some, uh, or there were about six or seven azalea bushes, and there were some crepe myrtles, and so they had these massive branches. And there was also a cyclone fence back there uh, that I was supposed to stay away from. Grandma didn't want us to mess with the cyclone fence. And it was a very reasonable request, but we were played in hide and seek. And it seemed like the perfect hiding spot. When I went back there, I thought that everything would be fine because I barely touched the fence. And I thought that I was navigating the branches the best I could. I wasn't messing with any of her beautiful flowers. And that was until I ran my face right into a giant nest of hornets. It felt like my face was on fire. And I ran screaming out of the bushes, trying to swat them away. Eight or nine years old. They got me about eight times total on the face and on the body. And as my grandma carried me to the patio, she she told me what I already knew. I wasn't supposed to be going back there. It wasn't just about the fence. It wasn't just about the azaleas. There were other dangers. When we got to the patio, my mom was there, and she wasted no time. What did she do? She tore open a pack of cigarettes and wetted the tobacco and applied them to my wounds. And we understand that as, an, as a rule, whenever we're infected with something, some type of poison, whether it's a spider bite, snake bite, whether it's the sting of an insect or a plant, that the poison needs to be drawn out somehow. It's this infectious thing that is designed to bring corruption to our bodies in, in some way to cause us harm. The only way to deal with it is to get rid of it completely. Today's Old Testament reading is very familiar to probably all of us, most of us. It's the passage that we use to talk about sin 101. Genesis 3 accounts for everything awful that you see in the world. Genesis 3 accounts for everything awful that you see in yourself. Sin has infected all of God's creation like a poison or like a disease, spreading rot and decay, which leads to death. But as horrendous as things can be in the world, and as awful as things are, and detestable as things are within ourselves on account of sin, there is not a second that goes by when we are without hope. God's final word to evil was spoken from the moment evil entered into the world. He promised a cure for our malady. He promised a way to draw our poison out. See, somewhere in the timeline of creation, there was an angel that rebelled against God. 
His goal was to usurp the authority of God. And he saw the perfect opportunity to do so in creation through the garden. Taking the form of a snake or or using a, a living snake, Satan came to the woman saying, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The devil wants to usurp God's authority by usurping his word. Our first parents had the freedom to enjoy everything in creation with only one prohibition, one small word of law. Don't eat from this one tree. Why would God forbid them from eating from that one tree? The very fact that we're asking that question already reveals that we have given into doubts about the goodness of God's command. So I just took the blinders off of all of us. I asked the question and you all said, yeah, why would God ask that? And then boom, there it is. We all have a sinful nature. We all doubt God's goodness. This is the trick that the devil pulled. Perhaps God is holding out on you. Perhaps there is something more that you need than what he has already provided, than what he has already said. When we struggle to keep from doing what all the commands, the commandments prohibit, it's often because we believe that God is keeping us from true joy. He just wants to keep me from going behind those azalea bushes because all he cares about is that cyclone fence. Now here was Satan's clincher. You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The first move was to get her to doubt God's word. And the second move now is to get her to usurp God's authority in her heart. Being like God, knowing good and evil, sounds kind of benign. But the motivation behind it is the desire for autonomy. To be our own gods. To decide for ourselves what is right and wrong. What is good and evil. And this is at the root of every sin. The poison that infects God's good creation. We all want to be our own gods. And in that moment, the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes and to, des- to be desired to make one wise. A triple temptation that was too much to overcome, and she ate. Keep that in your back pocket. And her husband just as shamefully ate at her behest. And shame it brought, because once their act of rebellion was complete, the first thing that they did was sew some fig leaves together to cover their nakedness, and then they hid themselves from God as if that's even possible. Every vile thought that you've ever had, every wicked deed carried out in the open or in the dark is because we've been infected with the poison of sin. The serpent has his fangs in us. It's not something we were created with, but something that came in from outside and corrupted everything. (coughs) 
But here's where the analogy breaks down, because sin is not a, a substance like poison is. Rather, sin is a disposition within the human heart, a disposition that causes us to turn away from or to hide from God. That's the poison we're dealing with. It causes us to hate God and to commit every act of evil. And we were conceived with it. We were born with it because we inherited it from our first parents. But God would not let us succumb to that infection. Though we were defeated by the serpent in the garden, God had a plan to reverse that defeat, to draw out the poison of sin that has wreaked havoc on creation and to reconcile us to himself. And though he would go on to pronounce curses upon the woman and upon the man, curses that you and I know very well and that we experience every day, he first pronounced one upon the serpent. And it was a curse upon the serpent, but it comes to you and I in the form of a promise. He said, I will put enmity between you and between the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We had made ourselves enemies of God through this act of rebellion, but God was determined not to set himself against us. Instead, he put that enmity between us and the devil. So like my mom tearing open the package of cigarettes to treat my swollen body, God's first reaction was to make a gospel promise. To begin to treat the infection, to, to begin to draw the poison out. Through the seed of woman, one would come forward who would defeat this serpent. One would crush his head so that he can no longer inject his poison into God's beloved creatures. And this Seed of woman language suggests that this man, this, this new Adam, would be born of a virgin, would be kept pure from the poison of sin. He himself, this new man, is the antidote. He is the antidote that is appointed to come and win victory where we have failed. This new Adam, this true and better son of God, would accomplish everything needed to eradicate this infection of sin for good and to annihilate the one who was instrumental in bringing it to us in the first place by deceiving us and getting us to turn away from God's word. And when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, God sent forth his son, the cure for our malady. And from the earliest days of his childhood, the serpent bore his fangs at our Savior. Even attempted, he even attempted to have him killed at the hands of Herod, the, the mad tyrant. But God would not let his rescue plan for us be thwarted. And in our gospel lesson today, we actually see Je uh, Jesus go out into the desert, this place of death, to begin to reverse the effects of what had happened in the garden, the place of life. Remember Eve's triple temptation that I told you to keep in your back pocket? Pull it out. Jesus reversed all of that in the wilderness. 
he was tempted to make the stones into bread as they would be, they would be good for food. He was tempted to receive the kingdoms of the world as they were a delight to the eyes. He was tempted to throw himself off the temple and therefore make himself wise by showing God that he knew his stuff. Where we failed in the garden, Jesus has succeeded at every turn. When we turn from God's word, Jesus clung to it with his own words when he said, It is written. And Jesus' defeat of Satan throughout his 40 days in the wilderness was just a preview of what he would go on to do at the cross as he would carry all that poison of sin that has corrupted the entire world in his sinless body so that it could be paid for in full, crushing the serpent's head beneath his nail-scarred feet in the process. And more than that, he rose again to show us that this poison would not ultimately lead to our demise. While our bodies will die from its effects, He has overcome the grave so that we who are united to Him will be raised as well. On that last day, there will be no poison to speak of. There will be no devil, no death, no sin, all gone. The curse will be lifted once and for all. Now to prove it, what is the first thing that Jesus did whenever he came alive in the tomb, whenever he was quickened? Before he came out of the tomb, what is the first thing that he did? We confess it in the creed. He descended into hell to declare to the serpent that he had been conquered. Who was next? The women who came to the tomb. And then who was next after that? The man, the men. Sounds a lot like the garden, doesn't it? To the serpent, to the woman, and to the man, there were curses. And now in the resurrection of Jesus, all of it reversed. When we think upon the world and all of its ills, whenever we think upon the hatred, the strife, the debauchery, the the vices, the killing, the, the fill in the blank, You and I have an answer as to where it comes from. But as we've begun Lent, our focus is not on what's out there, but on the venom that courses through our own veins. The sin that dwells within us that we can do nothing on our own to get rid of. We ourselves deal with this disease every single day, the same one that Adam and Eve fell prey to in the garden. We turn from God's word any time that it grates against our sensibilities. We put our fear, love, and trust in all of the small g gods that we have made rather than in the true God. And every act of sin that we commit today as you go throughout this day, any act of sin that you commit will be because in the deep recesses of your heart, you still think that you know better than God. We think that we make better gods than the one who is. But rather than covering yourself with the fig leaves of your own righteousness, see your sin for what it really is. High treason against your loving Creator. 
And yet he has not left you without a promise to believe, has he? He has not left you without a better covering. He has not left you without the true righteousness of faith that lays hold of Christ. He has provided for you an antidote that he has begun to administer to you in the means of grace, in the word, and in the sacraments. Hear the word of Colossians 2 today. In Jesus also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, the devil and his demons by triumphing over them in him and has put them to open shame. He has put all of your enemies, the world, the sinful flesh, the devil, to open shame by triumphing over them through the cross and through the resurrection, the same cross and resurrection that you have been baptized into. You see, the same promise that God made all the way back in Genesis 3 has come to its fulfillment in everything that Jesus has done for us. And God brings that victory now to you here in time through the means of grace. So during this Lenten season, as you continually repent and turn from sins, do not depend upon your own abilities to stand against the devil and his lies. But depend upon Jesus our refuge and our fortress. The one who has won the ultimate final victory over the devil. Depend upon Jesus where he promises to come to you. In the preaching of the gospel. In his word of absolution. In the waters of holy baptism. Through his true body and blood in the Lord's Supper. And it's there that he promises you the forgiveness of all your sins. It's there that he promises you his victory and his triumph over Satan and his cure for the sins that trouble you every day. And by trusting in what he does for you through these means, you are simply trusting in what God has said. Even though the devil would love for you to look elsewhere, even though he would love for you to doubt God's word, he would love for you to look away from Jesus in his promise. But today, because you share in the victory of the new Adam, you can say with him, it is written. I am forgiven. I am reconciled to God. I am baptized. In the name of Jesus, amen.